if it's a small hospital, a medium hospital, or a large hospital, they're still taking sick patients and making well patients, so there's the opportunity to improve that process by optimizing the care that's provided to them. The obligation is to make it as smooth and efficient as possible because that efficiency and that going from sick to well, that's what, that's what drives patient satisfaction. I mean, I, nobody wants to be in a hospital any longer than they absolutely have to. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Let's Talk Solutions, Candid Conversations with Healthcare Leaders. I'm Amy Fritzer, Director of Business Development for HHS. And I'm Becca Leaf, also Director of Business Development for HHS. This week, we discuss how in a busy healthcare environment, keeping patients moving throughout a facility with less wait time, less confusion, and less stress contributes to the patient experience and perception, and ultimately a facility's financial bottom line. So today we're joined by David Krager, President of Healthcare Diversifications at HHS. David has over 30 years experience in healthcare and has a passion to improve the patient experience and a deep understanding of the importance of patient flow throughout a facility. He brings a unique perspective in working with leaders every day to improve their outcomes and we're glad he's here. Well, thanks for joining us, David. Absolutely, my pleasure to be here. So before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your expertise in patient transport and where your background is in that topic? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess my journey on patient throughput really begins when I started working in uh, healthcare at a hospital in 1988 as an environmental services supervisor. And I think one of the unique things about working in housekeeping is you you get a behind-the-scenes look of everything that goes on in a hospital. And so, me being me, I just make observations during my normal course of working. And over the years, you just kind of build a file of all the things that you see that are happening, and you try to kind of piece together why certain things happen at certain times and, and what the impact is. And so, we had an opportunity as an organization to... Uh, expand our services to customers to focus on patient transport and the aspect of throughput. So that started uh, almost 10 years ago. And following up on that, David, so when you're talking about patient transport, patient throughput, patient flow, can you kind of give us kind of a, a quick overview of what that looks like in a clinical setting, in a facility? How would you define it? You know, if you go back to the early 90s, most hospitals had a patient transport department. And, you know, those were the, that was the department that really moved patients throughout the hospital going to diagnostics, going to surgery, um, being discharged, being admitted. Um, that was all completed by patient transport. Once um, hospitals started making cuts, they started cutting patient transport. And, you know, they would they would start with, um, you know, the management or the um, director level positions. And they let patient transport report to radiology or nursing because those were the principal users of that service. Over time, other departments became dissatisfied. So essentially, patient transport in hospitals was disbanded, and it went from a centralized model to very much a decentralized model. What that looks like today is, uh, you know, uh, transporters became CNAs or nursing assistants on nursing floors. They became ED techs in the ER. They became radiology techs in diagnostics. 
And so, you know, because of that process and that change, it really impacted, you know, how patients moved throughout the hospital and who was actually pushing them. And is that because those those individuals had additional responsibilities now? It wasn't just transport, but they were helping nurses and administering other tasks? Yeah, fast forward to today, the 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 nurse to to patient ratios, the CNA to patient ratios, um, ED techs to ED cases or visits, uh, all of those metrics have changed. And so I think for everybody within healthcare, you're asked to do more with less, and that continues to be the case. And so um, if you think about where we started, where we had patient transport, and today we don't, but yet um, we're asked to do more, mm-hmm. then it just makes it a very complicated issue when you're talking about what is the most efficient way to move patients and then ultimately what impact that has on throughput. And so, you know, what is throughput? What is patient flow and how do you measure that? You know, every patient that comes into the hospital is coming there for a reason and that's to get well. And so patients have to move around the hospital all the time. They might come into the ED and they have to go to radiology for uh, a CT scan and then they might be admitted. So they have to be moved up to a patient floor. Um, During their stay, they might need to go to uh, physical therapy at a gym, so they're transported there. So, I mean, patients get moved all throughout the hospital, and that's just covering inpatient. You also have outpatients who come in for elective procedures, and they have to go to different places. And then, of course, uh, ED patients that um, are treated and released out of the ED, but they're moved around the hospital. So that's really kind of the definition of patient flow and, and where patient transport comes into that. So you're talking about you've really started your your journey in patient transport and patient flow through EVS. So is that kind of where you found the issue with patient transport or the importance of it? Is it because EVS has a lot of um, exposure to that or they bring they can bring added value to it? How did that come about? Yeah, so um, the patient flow and patient movement and the impacts on environmental services were really felt from room dumps. I mean, that was kind of the start of the journey for me was that, you know, I it, you see everything happening. You see when patients get transported to the front door, they're discharged or they leave by ambulance or they get transferred from one floor to another. Um, and you see that real time. But how it's felt on environmental services is completely different. Mm -hmm. And that comes in the way of room dumps at shift change. And so as we were doing transitioning from first shift to second shift, we would just get uh, inundated by discharge room cleans. Um, And that was every day. And, you know, the patients left earlier in the day, but we got it um, pretty much at the same time every day. And so it became an exercise in managing that chaos every day. So from environmental services, your best friends are your ED nurses, your patient placement or bedboard coordinators, your PACU nurses. Those are the ones who are constantly calling you because 
they want updates on room status because they're getting backed up in the ED or they're holding patients in the PACU and it's backing up their surgery schedule. There could be direct admits, patients that are coming in through admissions who, who need a patient room. There can be patients who were critical, you know, who were on a, on a normal floor and, and there was something that happened. They need an ICU bed. And so there's this shuffle of rooms that happens, but um, what what I noticed was that it didn't happen real time. And so then it was really like, well, why does that occur? Um, because that's really what creates the problems within environmental services, managing that process. What that felt like for me personally was, um, you know, I had, I had environmental services team members that worked for me for years, and they had worked at the hospital before I was ever working there. And they were part of the part of the fabric of that hospital. I mean, they were, they were valued, they were appreciated, they knew everybody. They knew every physician, they knew every administrator, every nurse, uh, you know, I mean, they were just part of that hospital family and had been working there for extended periods of time. Well, when you have room dumps at shift change and people have put in a full day's work and they've worked really hard, but you've got a, a, a patient in the ED who needs a, a ICU bed, you know, a motor vehicle accident that came in, and then you've got a patient that can transfer out of the ICU and you can get that bed, but unfortunately, you've got to clean one of the step-down unit beds so you can move the patient. Well, you know, you go to the well too many times with those team members after they've had a long day and you're like, look, I just need you to take care of this one discharge room clean. But that that was how it was every day Mm -hmm. and it never changed. And so, you know, I had team members that had been with me for a long time. They were they cared about their job, but they quit. And and, you know, that was something that was really difficult for me to 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 cope with, uh, you know, because I felt responsible for that. Right. And that was another reason. It is kind of like a game of Tetris in that, you know, you've got somebody on the third floor Mm -hmm. that needs to leave. And for once that bed opens up, you can move an ICU person. But first you have to clean that room before you can clean the ICU bed and move that patient out. And it just becomes this domino effect. Well, and then you've got 10 other patients that have to go to radiology for x-ray or or five that would be reeled off to surgery. So how do you balance all that? Yeah, we we call that non-optimal patient placement. I mean, you, you know, you can't, you know, you, if you, if you've got patients waiting for rooms in the ED or PACU, you, you've got to get them to a bed. I mean, right. otherwise you stop everything. And, and that's when hospitals go on divert. That's when OR schedules, uh, you know, the, the schedule for the OR is halted. And that's, that's a big deal. Um, that's, uh, that's a big move to make, and so you're you're constantly trying to get patients in rooms in rooms. So you you place them in the first room available, and you you basically just deal with the consequences later because you know at some point in time it's going to slow down. So you can kind of resort your patients, but then that creates additional room cleans and transfers. So from a patient experience perspective, what do you predict are the biggest headaches with that? causes for them? You know, from a, from a personal perspective with, with my father and my mother who, um, you know, uh, was living with cancer for seven years, uh, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time in the hospital and, you know, I was having a conversation with um, an administrator the other day and we were just talking about this and I was like, you know, I feel like 
myself included, that we become somewhat desensitized to the things that happen in a hospital and ER being a great example. Um, if you've ever really sat in the ER with a family member and, and you know, a hospital that's crowded that is holding patients in the ED, you could be waiting for a room for six hours, eight hours, uh, I mean, sometimes 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And you get to listen to everything that happens in that ED. And I can tell you from experience, um, prior to working in a hospital, it's terrifying. You hear um, motor vehicle accident patients come in. You hear, um, you know, at, at high trauma hospitals, you hear gunshot wound victims come in. You, you have police in the ER. You have all these different ambulances coming in. Um, it's just, it's a terrifying experience. And you know, there's even times where I've been in the ED and, and somebody has passed away and you get to hear what that family goes through. And the reason that's important and the reason we were having that conversation is because you've got to overcome that from a patient satisfaction and experience perspective. Mm -hmm. You just held somebody in the ED for that length of time on a thin mattress. They got to experience all that terror yeah. and and, 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 you know, it's, it's not anybody's fault, but now you take them up to a patient floor where they receive great care. They have great interaction with nurses, with all the other clinicians and care providers, but you've still got to overcome that initial impression. And that's, that's part of the equation of patient throughput. And not to mention the pain they're in while they're sitting there waiting for care yeah. to be able to be seen. I mean, you don't Absolutely. go to the ER for no reason, you know? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. David, I totally echo that. I mean, I, from a personal standpoint, I had that with my mother. I mean, she was in an ED in one of the busiest trauma hospitals here for over 24 hours before she was transferred. And she was literally on one of the gurneys in the hallway. And in the middle of the night, they had like five gunshot wounds come in. There were police everywhere. And she was, I remember talking to her and she could barely speak. She was just beside herself. She said it was the scariest thing she's ever seen. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and that's when I really thought about, you know, patient transport and moving the patients in the facility and how important it is. I mean, obviously we're, we work in healthcare, so we, you know, we understand that, but from a personal level and you think, well, how could they possibly leave a patient like that or, or have, you know, and like you said, it's nobody's fault. They get overwhelmed. They're busy. I mean, it's very unpredictable. So what, what are the touch points or where have you seen in your experience would be the biggest bottleneck? Is it in the ED? We're trying to move patients up. Is it a specific area or is it just overall? You know, I, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I mean, I think there's certainly direct competition between ED and PACU uh, on bed availability. But the other, the other principal limitation that causes bottlenecks is either staffed bed capacity or mm -hmm. um, some hospitals really operate at maximum bed capacity where they're operating at their, um, you know, their full licensed bed capacity. Um, but in either situation, that is your principal limitation. In, in staffed bed scenario, it's, it's a shift-by-shift shift issue. You can bring in, uh, you know, agency nurses. You can bring in traveling nurses, float pools nurses, and you can adjust your staffing levels to accommodate the fluctuations. But 
you know, you you got to give people time to respond to get into work. And so that's why you see a shift to shift variation. And and then there's a direct correlation to patient movement. So as an example on, on um, you know, second and into third shift, you can have patients building up and holding in the ED. And the limitation is staffed beds uh, up on the patient floors. You know, through the evening, they're working on coordinating additional staffing to come in you start to really see and feel that, um, let's say at 7 a.m., and then there's a migration of patients that go up from the ED as a result because now you have a bed you can put them in. At the same time, you've just started your surgery schedule. So now you've got elective surgeries throughout the day that are going to require a um, an actual physical patient bed. And, you know, that's pretty predictable. But again, you're in competition with the ED and it's an unknown every day. And so, you know, if you kind of push through that and say, well, why does it occur? You know, what can we do differently? A lot of times what we see is it's it's notification triggers. It's, um, you know, when a patient leaves a patient room, does environmental services know right when they leave? Um, are they able to respond to that? Um, I was visiting uh, a hospital not too long ago, and it was reported to me that up to 40% of the rooms um, that environmental services is notified that need to be clean and they go to clean them, they're already done. Um, and they couldn't, they couldn't figure out why. And I was like, I, I can tell you exactly why. It's because you have a great housekeeping team and the the housekeeper, environmental service person is up on the patient floor. They see the patient leave and they say goodbye to them. They say goodbye to their family and wish them well. And and they're like, well, I, you know, I might as well go ahead and clean this room because somebody's going to call for it sooner or later. Um, and really, the holdup is that the discharge or the the discharge has to occur inside the uh, ADT system of the hospital. That then, you know, the notification chain starts there, and that's when environmental services gets notified. So that might have happened on day shift when the room was cleaned. Second shift starts on environmental services. They get a notification the room needs to be cleaned. They go up, and they're like, this room's already cleaned. And that's that's kind of how that occurs. But within that lies the opportunity for a lot of hospitals to improve that process to be able to capture that bed capacity that is sitting there waiting it's ready to be used it's just it's not visible and there's not a good way um, within existing systems and processes to really um, quantify that and to measure it and to be able to to fix that process and so that's where patient transport really pays or ties into this because the one thing you can control is if a transporter is um, taking the patient out of the room and discharging them to the front door, then you you own that notification. And now you can connect that directly to environmental services so that they get real-time information. They can go up and clean the room. And because you have the notification trigger from environmental services, that can immediately go to patient placement, who can then immediately let um, you know, PACU know or the ED know so that they can get that patient out of PACU or the ED up to that patient floor. And you've been studying this for what, 30 years now. I mean, you said you started in the 80s. I mean, do, do you feel like after watching all of this that, uh, well, I guess, how often do you feel like it is a 
patient transport, maybe miscommunication, not aware of when a bed is needs to be cleaned issue versus the hospital is just at full capacity and things are slower. Well, the, the notification part in not having patient transport as that initiation point is one piece of it. I mean, here's the other piece. Let's say that um, you, you're a hospital and you don't have patient transport at all. You don't have uh, any, any presence. And a patient um, uh, you know, is ready to discharge to the front door. Let's say that that occurs at 8 a.m. I mean, maybe it was a conditional discharge based off of completing you know, physical therapy or, or a respiratory therapy consult. But the patient's ready to now discharge, and it's 8 a.m., well, that has nothing to do with when the staff is going to be able to leave the floor to take that patient to the front door, wait on somebody to pull the car around. I mean, a lot of times the delays in getting patients out of the hospital are just a side effect of clinicians wanting to continue to provide the, the care um, that the patients need. I mean, it, it would be certainly irresponsible for them just to leave the floor to get somebody out when they've got, you know, five other patients they're caring for. Have you noticed, David, in your experience, is patient transport or patient flow more of an issue or um, more of a, a focus in a larger facility versus a smaller facility? Or do you see that smaller facilities can still benefit from that? You know, I think I think all facilities can benefit from it because it's about it's about optimizing the delivery of care. Um, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, and I, I, I'm, I don't mean this in a, um, in an insensitive way, but a hospital is really manufacturing six patients into well patients. I mean, that's really kind of what their, their job is. And so, when you think about that manufacturing process you know, the the obligation is to make it as smooth and efficient as possible because that efficiency and that going from sick to well, that's what that's what drives patient satisfaction. I mean, I nobody wants to be in a hospital any longer than they absolutely have to. Um, and so if it's a small hospital, a medium hospital, or a large hospital, they're still taking sick patients and making well patients. So there's the opportunity to improve that process by optimizing the care that's provided to them. You'd mentioned the whole idea of, you know, one, there's communication with EVS trying to come up and, and turn a room, but there's also communication probably between the nursing staff or other staff to say, hey, I got to bring this patient down or, or move somebody from the ED upstairs. What technology resources are out there to make that happen faster and in real time versus simply a phone call once you get the chance to make the phone call? So when we talk about what is the best out there, um, you know, it's a technology platform that really kind of integrates but can operate somewhat separate from the ADT system because it provides insight, a window into where the patients are, where the movement's occurring, when rooms are ready, that's not dependent on uh, discharges out of the ADT system. What is ADT? Uh, admission, discharge, and transfer. It's just um, it's just a generic term to kind of describe the, the 
technology platform that's used to record everything. It's the system of record, if you would. Gotcha. And the reason that's relevant, and I can give you an example, is that um, typically, you know, you can't uh, assign a patient out of the ED or PACU to go to um, another patient floor until uh, that that room is discharged. And so you have to get the other patient who was in that room out of the system so that you can place another patient into it. The reason that the technology platform, other than the efficiency, is important, and if we look at hospitals that are using a manual system, you know, pen and paper, telephones, um, and a dispatcher, is that you know, it's it's kind of like that game you used to play when you were young where you would get a line of people, somebody would whisper something into somebody's mm. ear and then... Telephone? Yeah. You get to see what it, it turns into by the time you get to the, to the end of that line. Well, you know, it's the same reason in hospitals they implemented read back and verify for, for physician orders or medications was because things sound alike or there can be confusion, and that was just a, a way of doing checks and balances. The, the same danger exists when you're talking about transporting patients because, you know, you've, you've got communication through a phone that's going to a dispatcher, then the dispatcher is calling a transporter, the transporter is um, listening to what the uh, request is, who the patient is, and the identifiers of that patient. They're writing it down. They go up to the patient floor to move that patient. But, you know, if they recorded something wrong, the wrong room number, they didn't get the last name right or one of the identifiers, then you're potentially transporting a patient that's the, the wrong one. Mm. And while that doesn't happen often, and there's certainly other levels to prevent um, any errors, you still hear about it on the news. You still read about it. I, I read recently about something that occurred where there, there was a, a surgery mistake on a, on a transplant. And so, you know, it, it happens. It's rare. But, um, you know, that, that is a, a concern. And then beyond that, um, you know, there's, there's HIPAA um, considerations mm. when you're talking about verbalizing, um, you know, okay, you said Mrs. Johnson from room so-and-so and her date of birth is this, you're, you know, you're, you're repeating that back to the dispatcher you're talking to on the phone. Well, whoever's in earshot, that's, that's a violation of, of, um, privacy protocol. Um, if you're writing it down, you know, can we, can we be assured that every single time we write down that patient information, that that document is going into a shred bin and, mm -hmm. and being destroyed? You know, is it going into the regular trash, trash or is it left laying around? I mean, those are all considerations and, you know, reasons to move away from that type of system to some type of technology. If you had to guess nationwide, how many people do you, or how many facilities do you think are still using the pen and paper method versus a technology platform? Um, I think I did some research not long ago, and it was um, six trillion. I have no idea. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> You're like, wow, six trillion. Wow, that's a I don't big think that's number. A that many hospitals. But I would think the, uh, one of the other benefits of doing the technology piece is that you know you were talking earlier about how it's hard for them to improve the processes or find out where the bottlenecks are. But I would imagine with the with the technology, if everything's in real time, they can actually have metrics associated with it or 
numbers associated with it to be able to say, okay, this is where we're seeing the most, like you said, maybe it is at shift change. So maybe that's where we need to focus on improving, or maybe it's this or that. But I mean, have you found that, that that's a benefit for that as well, for the technology piece? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can tell you without hesitation that one of the most um, difficult aspects of working with a hospital and trying to to kind of figure out how to improve the patient flow is when we start looking at, you know, what are they doing today? And when you don't have a technology platform or that platform is not um, managed correctly, then you don't have a data capture. And so, you know, here we are saying, well, you know, we can, we can use some benchmarks to really um, talk about what we would anticipate your total annual transports to be. Um, but we've had hospitals that we think we're doing, you know, 40,000 transport with, with existing staff and, um, they think they're doing in excess of a hundred thousand and, you know, there's no, um, good data sets to be able to say, here's what we're actually doing. And, um, you know, when you do have that information, then yeah, you can start refining where the bottlenecks are, where the opportunities, how you can really impact that patient flow to, to um, you know, for the benefit of the patient and the clinicians. So the technology piece, this is what I'm picturing. I'm picturing an iPad that says room 203 is clear. It needs to be cleaned. And then it'll pop up on patient transfer. It's person. They come up to that room and move the person. Is that what it looks like? What is the actual technology piece do? Yeah. So, I mean, we have a lot of experience in that because we kind of, you know, as a, as a company and organization, we looked at what was out there and we operated with some of those different technology platforms, but we ultimately ended up building our own technology platform called Bedwatch. And the reason we did that is because we had an opportunity to really work with, with nurses, work with, um, you know, care providers in, in um, diagnostics and surgery in the ED to understand what the challenges were with their, um, you know, patient movement, what they needed to see, how they needed the process to work. And so what that looks like is when somebody puts in a request, um, they're putting in, you know, uh, where the starting point is, where the destination is, when they want that patient to go, what the patient identifiers are, if there's any other considerations like mode of transport, is the patient in isolation status, do they need to go with a nurse, do they need to go with a care provider or family member, Um, are they on O2, Uh, do they have an IV, I mean there's all these different aspects and and really what you're doing from a technology perspective is you're, um, instead of showing up to do the transport to only then realize that you need an O2 bottle, um, you're giving the transport team members all the information they need so they can get to the patients and be prepared to move them um, and get them to where they need to go. So we've talked about some of the value from a safety standpoint, an organization standpoint, a process improvement standpoint that patient transport programs bring to facility. But what about financial benefit? Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, especially today, that's a that's a big uh, a point to to talk about. I mean, I think if you were to talk to any hospital, any administrator, um, I mean, anybody who is impacted by patient movement, um, 
they would all tell you that, yes, I would love to have a fully um, staffed, centralized patient transport department so that I could put in a request and my patients showed up uh, when I needed them on time and when they needed to return, um, that was completed on time and, and the patient went back. I mean, that's, that's really what everybody wants. Um, getting there and being able to um, afford that and cover the expense of that really becomes a conversation about what is the what is the value proposition what is the return on investment I mean I think if we talk about value proposition there's a million different ways that that can go I, I you know off the top of my head um, you know clinician satisfaction not having to leave the floor being able to spend that time at the bedside caring for their patients i mean i think if you talk to any clinician and you said why did you get into this field it's because they like to care for people and it gives them um i you know a sense of fulfillment i mean they they go home every day and they're like wow i made a difference in the world i took care of these patients and and that's important and you know, the more that we can give back to them to be able to be at the bedside and execute what they signed up for, the better off, you know, they are and uh, the happier they are, which is important today. And then also that translates into patient satisfaction. But it also leads to employee retention. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and that's that's a big challenge. I mean, you know, over the past six months, you know, all the phone calls that we're getting are about, look, we we want to be able to help our our nurses. We want to be able to help our clinicians. It's it's hard out there right now. Staffing is a challenge. And so, you know, they want to do everything and anything they can because, I mean, at the end of the day, without patients, without physicians, without care providers, you know, there's no there's no healthcare. There's no hospital. I mean, that's the the foundation for all of those, and it's it's our it's the support services that are really built around that, and that that name is there for a reason. And when you think about transport, environmental services, nutritional services, plant ops, grounds, linen, all of those support services are designed to support those those functions in that operation, and so. You know, back to you know how do you how do you um, translate the value proposition and the ROI? Well, being able to provide reliable service um, at the request of nurses to move patients or discharge patients um, that frees up bed space that um, a lot of times is there. Um, it's available. It's just not recognized and can't be captured. And so the utilization of that bed space um, is really, you know, probably viewed as um, increased new admissions. Right. And even to a large degree because of the impacts on uh, asset utilization and diagnostics, um, it also looks like increases in adjusted admits, which is just a, a you know a term for combining new admits and and outpatient uh, revenue um, and converting that into adjusted admits. And so, you know, that's the financial piece. But I would also think it would cut down on the left without being seen in the ED, and then help with turnover for op for you know in surgery and stuff too, right? For Outpatient surgeries, or yeah, is that true too? Absolutely, you you have increases in OR minutes um, because you you don't uh, stop the flow of patients coming into the OR and then out of PACU. 
Um, so you're able to do more procedures, more mm-hmm. cases. Mm-hmm. You can even do add-on cases that can generate additional revenue. When we talk about the ER, um, you know, the, the, the dirty word in the ER is divert. I mean, that's just a word you never want to hear. Um, but when you start um, building up patients and you have increased hold hours, sometimes that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that can drive um you know, left without being seen rates. I mean, I, you know, if, if you go to an ER and it's going to, you're going to be sitting in the waiting room forever, you're not going to um, be cared for quickly and efficiently, then, you know, you have choices as a consumer and you might go down the street to a different, uh, a different ER. What we have found is that um, there's hospital administrators who, um, you know, just like everything else today, they're paid for performance. Um, and that pushes all the way down to frontline team members where you have key performance indicators that then drive incentive-based compensation where, you know, it's just the way of the world today. You, you pay for the performance that we all expect. And in a hospital, um, that alignment can be impactful. And so a lot of times improving patient throughput um, aligns with those metrics. And those metrics are set for reasons um, to improve care and pr- improve the delivery of care. It's not, it's not all about financials. It can be about a number of different things, but being able to impact those um, can be important for everybody in the organization. Mm-hmm. So when we look at um, the return on investment or the financial upside of improving patient throughput, you know, you're looking to capture that virtual bed capacity. And when you talk about notification triggers or the capability of moving a patient, uh, discharging a patient right when they can be discharged versus when you're able to do it, you know, a lot of times we see an average of two to four hours of improvement in bed availability per discharged or transferred patient. And so when you start um, adding up all those hours, um, you know, you can say, what is the average length of stay for a patient? Let's just say at a hospital, it's 4.5 days. And then the next part of the equation is what is your average revenue per new admit? And that might be, let's say, $13,000 per new admit. Well, if you can capture that bed capacity and create new admits within the same space that exists today, the reason that's so significant financially is because you don't have to add labor to accomplish that on the clinical side. You don't require more nurses. You don't require more um, you know, technicians, more people in the ER or diagnostics in any of the departments, really, because as far as anybody's concerned, without that transparency, those beds are already occupied. So capturing that, improving and increasing your admits and ultimately your adjusted admits, you've got a really sound um, pathway towards determining what that return on investment is. And that's really the big challenge today is, you know, go back to my statement about every hospital wanting a fully centralized apartment. It's how do you pay for it? Mm-hmm. Well, we think we figured out how you pay for it. It's a matter of having that level of conversation and walking through that openly and honestly and sharing you know, our, our experience so that we can get people there because we all want the same thing, and that's to take care of the patients. Sounds like an untapped honeypot people are sitting on and don't realize, you know? And in, in some regards, it can be. <laughs> so 
I'm sure everyone listening to this, especially after hearing the financial piece, is itching to know what are three things that they can do to improve your throughput program right now? So the first thing that I would say is, you know, collaborate with your different departments who um, receive or request patients and really drill down, determine how much movement in my hospital is, is occurring on a daily basis. And that, that includes ED patients, outpatients, and inpatients. Once you can really define that number, then that's, that's, that's half the battle. Because if you have a transport department and they're moving a portion of that, well, at least you know that all the other movement that's occurring is being done by people who are not transporters. So there are, there are going to be nurses, they're going to be CNAs, they're going to be techs. Those are all people that you really count on to deliver the care to the patients, um, but they're, they're off moving those patients. So that's really the first step is to understand that. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. Once you understand that, then you know have conversations with um, your different departments and your, your CFO to really understand what is the value of improving that process? You know, what will, you know, how will we feel that impact? Uh, I was having a conversation the other day with a, a hospital administrator and we were talking about diagnostics um, just in general. And, and I, th- I think we were talking about the cost of a new CT scanner that they were bringing in and, and um, it's expensive. And, you know, they view it as an asset. And I, I would imagine like with any asset, you know, you're looking for a return on investment with that asset. And I said, well, how do you, how do you measure um, your efficiency of operating an asset? Because I, I guess at the end of the day, what you would want is for that, to, that CT scanner to be humming uh, 24-7. And that's not necessarily the reality, but, um, you know, you can really look at what is your staffing for that? What does it require per hour? How many procedures are you running through it? And what is your uptime? Um, that's an important piece of it because every time you have an opportunity to optimize the delivery of the healthcare, whether that's scans, whether that's sick patients to well patients and, and reducing, you know, your, your total length of stay, um, that has the ability then to fund a patient transport department that then can improve your patient flow, improve patient experiences, improve physician satisfaction, improve uh, you know nursing satisfaction. Um, that would be this uh, you know an area that I would really suggest. Okay, let me see if there's any. You said three. I'm not saying you're holding me to three, but let me see if I can think of another one. I, well, those seem like the most important ones. Maybe it isn't three. Yeah, maybe it's six trillion examples, please. <laughs> the other thing that I would, you know, recommend that hospitals do is really take a look at um, their notification processes. And let me describe what that looks like, because this is part of what I do when I go visit a hospital and, and make an assessment, is I'll look for um you know, patients that discharge. And let's say I isolate a patient who is um, being discharged down to the front door uh, to be picked up by a family member, 
Well, I'm just making a notation, a notation of when that patient left and what patient room. I'll look for a patient that's uh, departing and being transferred to a SNF or an LTAC, and maybe they're going by uh, an ambulance uh, on a stretcher. And I'll make a notation of when that patient left or look at when a patient was transferred from one floor to another. Getting those timestamps and then comparing that to when EVS was notified, comparing that to when patient placement was notified that the room was cleaned, um, looking at when that notification was communicated to the ED or PACU. I mean, everything is really triggered upon the start of an event um, of a patient leaving a room and a new patient is able to come into that room. And so, you know, if if I'm at a hospital and I'm an administrator, I want to take the time to understand that process because that can be the first step to really understanding what the opportunity is within your hospital. Um, and then the rest of it kind of gets easy after that. That's really good advice. Agreed. So now, David, we're going to switch gears and make things a little bit more fun. So we always close out with a fun question section. So are you ready? Mm, I can't wait. <laughs> so Your if you, enthusiasm seems like just I feel like I just threw up all over you guys with a bunch of throughput information. Now you want to talk and switch it's, gears into it's fun a, stuff. It okay. can be a dry topic, but it's very fascinating when you dig into the details <laughs> and see how much it's impacting the hospital. I think it's fascinating. but Okay, so fun time. So if you could have an unlimited supply of one thing, what would it be? Time. That's a good one. That is a good one. That didn't even come to my mind. That seems very obvious. Well, what would yours be, Becca? I don't know. Please don't ask. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my second answer would be uh, time to fish. So it's like you take the word and then add on a a descriptor. So time to fish. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. And then the last one is, what fashion trend do you regret the most? I mean, oh, if you start in the 80s, you've got to have an 80s trend. Yeah, there's so many of them. I mean, <laughs> I, I I came across a, a picture when I was younger, uh, leaning against the hood of my, uh, my 73 Mustang that I was so incredibly proud of. And everything about the picture was wrong. Uh, the shorts uh, were typical 80s, multiple colored geometric patterns, the gold chain, <laughs> and, the, and the mustache. And, and I can't the mustache. picture you with a gold chain. That's so funny. Oh, it was, uh, I mean, thank goodness the picture's not clear, but uh, I'll have to show you sometime. But yeah, that was, uh, fashion police should have been called. That's really funny. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, thanks so much for joining us, David. This was really educational. Yes, thank you. We appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I enjoy talking about uh, patient throughput and appreciate the opportunity. You're definitely our expert. Yes. Our resident expert at HHS. For sure. I think this is one of those topics where it's not only resonating with administrators, but even to just a patient that's listening to this. I, I I don't think that patients really understand the reason they're waiting so long in the ER is usually because of turnaround times and throughput. Yeah, no, I'd agree. And I think a lot of it too comes down to if a facility doesn't have, as David mentioned, like a strong systems or processes in place to manage that. um, I can see, you know, why a patient would get upset. I mean, if you think about it on the wait times, I mean, 
in a hospital when it's a healing place and the whole point is to get better and, you know, get good care. That is a, um, that's a huge portion of patient satisfaction and of course care. I mean, I think it was kind of ironic that David's response to if he could have endless supply of something was time, because this is a topic where time is of the essence. Yeah. It's like, clearly that is a theme that you are interested in and that's why you chose this career. Yes. Well, thanks for joining us for this candid conversation about patient throughput in the hospital setting. And thanks again to David for joining us today. And thank you all for listening. We hope you've gotten some tangible takeaways that may be able to utilize in your facility. Be sure to follow us and tune in for our next episode with another healthcare leader, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And in the meantime, for more tips in healthcare, follow the HHS blog at www.hhs1.com. Until next time.